Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today we have a special session from a pair of alumni who were brought on campus by our Christian Leadership Department and the Dean of that department, Brother Chris Henderson, to have a candid talk about some IBC stories and a look at their first years of marriage and ministry. It's a candid and helpful look, and I know it's going to bless you. Brother and Sister Crossan are licensed with the Illinois District, and through the years they've faithfully served their local church as youth pastors, media coordinators, board members, and more. The Crossans are seasoned members of the Illinois Youth Ministry Committee, and their love for young people is only exceeded by their love for truth. I know you're going to be blessed by their insights and their experiences, and you'll even laugh a bit too. Let's get right to this special Christian leadership session with Brother Zach and Sister Amy Crossan. Turner just reminded me of a story I forgot. I was a junior at IBC, and my current husband at the time husband. he or my current husband, but then then I'm her only husband. Oh help us, help us! At the time, Zach was the most sought-after boy on the campus. Everyone he hit the he hit the uh, front stoop of IBC, and just the hallways lit up. Was Zach Crossan? And I was like, who is this Zach Crossan? Well, a couple weeks later, he got sick, and I wanted to get him some soup and crackers. And so Sister Turner took me to Walmart on a Sunday night after church, and I got a gift bag for Zach. And then now we are, in July, we'll be married for nine years. So she fed me. I did. I fed him. <laughs> yes, yeah, she... Yes, so Sister Turner is the reason that Zach and I are married today. I owe it all to her. So, yes, and I, I forgot about that. Um, I walked in to those double doors in the business center in August of 2010. I had never in my life attended an IBC Connect. I, did not, I didn't even know what IBC Connect was. I had never attended an IBC Live. I didn't know what Youth Congress was. I didn't know what Mark Con- I just hit those double doors and knew that I wanted to go to IBC. I'm pretty sure I had on black Old Navy flip-flops and a plain white t-shirt. I was as simple as can be from upstate New York. But over the next four years, the Lord would continually do one thing for me. He gave me a chance. My husband is going to speak from a place of someone established, well-mannered, and had their life together. For me, I was indeed a miracle. And for someone in this room, I know that you are too. And I hope that you never dwindle what the Lord has done for you. I struggled trying to put together advice for you guys or something that would kind of hold you over for the next 10 years. Because I'm incapable, I really am, of preparing you for every situation that you're ever going to face. But what I hope to do is give you a little piece of my heart that you can remember when you're going through something that the couple in Lawrenceville went through something similar. So I grew up in the same home for 21 years. I came home from the hospital, and my parents brought me to the same home that on July 12, 2014, I walked out of that house to marry my husband. So 
I was leaving the only place I ever knew as home. We filled a U-Haul, a Toyota Highlander, and a Ford Sport Tracker with all of my stuff to drive 14 hours to Illinois. My transition to Calvary Apostolic Church was a process, and in some ways, it still is. My husband and I chose that at the time I would stay in New York until we were married, so he bought a house without me ever stepping foot in it. The first time I ever stepped into our house was the week after our wedding. And so in the beginning, I only sang on the praise team at our church. Mind you, again, I came straight from IBC, and so for six months, maybe more, maybe eight months, that was it. I just sang on the praise team. I worked at a bank. I worked 40 hours a week, and we helped the current youth pastors run youth nights. At IBC, I was Sister Crossin. Before we were even married, the students started calling me Sister Crossin. I'm not really sure why I scared them so much, but I did in a sense, and there was this weird respect level, and that wasn't the same when I went to my church. It, was, I, it wasn't the same feeling, and so with that, I felt a call to preach at 14 years old. I accepted the call to preach when I was a junior at IBC. I preached out on MSAs, at chapel, and... Uh, I think it was about three and a half years before I did my first message in our current church from the time that I arrived. I had no friends. I wasn't really doing what I felt like the Lord called me to do. And everyone around me had an accent and I couldn't understand a single thing that they were saying. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do when you're friendless? You're not quite sure if you like your home. You're not really doing what you felt like you were supposed to be. I made a decision that I needed to correct my, connect myself with different generations in the church. So I aligned myself with three important people. The first one, her name is Lisa Merrill, and she did the food for all of our youth events, and she did the music in Youth Chapel. Second was Sharon Keene, and she is our ladies coordinator. And third is Rachel Murphy, and she was my friend. For Lisa, I learned how to work Youth Chapel. I learned how to teach the students, and I also learned how to lead worship. She helped me grow as a singer. She helped me grow as a youth worker. She also taught me that you can hurt a lot of people when you come out of Bible school. These are people in churches that are established in their positions, and here I came in with my ideas and different things like that, but she, she taught me you have to be gracious and kind and patient with people because everyone has emotions. Sharon Keene taught me how to make dinner for 200 plus people. She taught me how to make chicken and noodles, not to be confused with chicken noodle soup. And my northerner brain was really struggling because they were like, we're gonna have a chicken noodle dinner. And I was like, like Campbell's chicken noodle soup, but chicken and noodles. And she also taught me to be consistent, responsible. Then she taught me to watch my pastor for direction. She also taught me how to get things done. Last is Rachel. I walked up to her one Sunday night and simply just said, Rachel, will you be my friend? When we came out of Bible school in 2014 and went back to Calvary Apostolic, there was another couple from IBC, and then there was several different people our age. But I knew that if I wanted to grow in the church, I had to find somebody who was different than me, somebody who was established in that community. So she had two little girls, and she was about 10 years older than me, 
and I would go over to her house on afternoons, and then eventually she would start coming to my house every Christmas for a brunch. And then when I walked through one of the darkest seasons of my life, she came up to me and put her arms around me and said, Amy, we're going to the altar. She quite literally saved my life. When you come out of Bible school, it's really easy to think, I have so much to offer a church. And you do. You have knowledge. You have depth. You have a beautiful education. But the church has so much to offer you. Yeah. The body has so much to offer you, the same you have to offer them. The first couple of years were really, really hard. I went back to New York a lot. I would sit on my kitchen floor and I would feel so lonely. But I had to make a decision that I was going to integrate myself into my new church, my new home, my new family, my new community. I had to find contentment with a new culture I had to learn the lingo. I am embarrassed to say that it took me three years to figure out what hotter than blue blazes meant, but I finally did. I figured it out. Okay, somebody told me. I'm not going to lie to you. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. And if you don't know what hotter than blue blazes, it's the blue part of the fire. It's just really hot. So, like, it's hotter than blue blazes. It's just the middle of the. But when you say it, you even sound southern. So Lawrenceville has done more for me than I ever could do for them. My church has carried my deepest burdens. Their hearts have literally ached for my husband and I, and that means more to me than any title or position ever could. I wanted to touch on transition. Throughout the years I have developed, I actually had the same talent when I was at IBC, of acquiring just random responsibilities that no one ever asked me to do. And so at one point at our church, this was everything I, that I could think of. I think I probably did more things, but this is all I could think of. I was the youth pastor's wife. I led worship every Sunday morning. I taught junior high every Sunday morning. I was the leader for the greeting department. I trained the pro presenter team. I made the church calendar, updated and managed the church website, ran our social media, church photographer, developed promotional materials, made the sermon titles, made the food for every Friday night, was on the main sanctuary praise team, was on the main sanctuary prayer team. So sometimes I would lead prayer and then put the mic down and turn around and grab the praise team mic. And then I preached in the main sanctuary. And again, there were Sundays I would do all of them. And I look back, I told my husband, I said, I looked back, I would get to church at 7 a.m. on a Sunday, and we have morning and night service, and I would do four to six of those things in one day. And I didn't think it was heavy. I really didn't. I don't remember feeling overwhelmed or unbalanced or feeling like I couldn't do it. But two years ago, the Lord told me it was time for me to transition out of those things. And so two years ago, I started. And today, I do only half of those. I told Brother Henderson in the car about Brother Nate Wager. He's a front, he went to IBC and he came back and... Uh, just this past January, I transitioned Nate into what we call in-service media. So he handles sermon titles, training people for pro presenter, all of it. And the first service that I went to after the transition happened, I was just weeping. Um, 
crying, and I remember just feeling really empty. And again, this is just this past January. But I had the ability, I had the time, the resources to create that department within our church, and then I had to give it away. And I know that people talk about transition all the time, but it's us in this room. Eventually, you will be in the position where you have to transition out of something. The, at first, it looks like I need to transition into something, and so-and-so won't give it up, and we've always done it this way. But eventually, in mm -hmm. 10 years, you'll be the person who has to transition out of it. And how you do it matters. What you, how you do it for the church matters. I got to set a precedent that I was excited that he got to take over. Now, internally, I'm weeping, but the church doesn't know that. They see me like, look at where we're growing. We're moving forward. Brother Wayer's doing an awesome job. So with this, I'll just say, I'm so glad that I learned the voice of the Lord because he was the one who told me two years ago to transition out. For almost nine years, the Lord has asked my husband and I to wait. I joke with a lot of people telling them that we have a master's degree in waiting. We just, after eight years and seven months of marriage, got a new couch. Our couch was the same couch that my husband had in his dorm room. <laughs> that works. Hey. We gave oh, it to somebody else. We didn't even, we didn't throw it away. This couch is still living. But, it, and it was a joke. It was a joke in our church. I walked into a, a, a baby shower and I looked at my pastor's wife and I said, you'll never guess what I did. And she goes, what? And I said, I bought a new couch. And she said, the rapture is about to happen, <laughs> right? Because we were known by our church as that couple who still has the same couch after nine years. But we're in the same house, we drive the same cars, and much of our life looks the same as it did July 4th, 2014. But the one thing I have learned, the voice of the Lord, to a place that instantly I know when he's speaking. I have wept in my husband's arms, I've made unbearable mistakes. I've apologized to people, but the Lord, he's truly rich in mercy mm -hmm. and he is so faithful and he is truly faithful as the sunrise. So the same way that when you and I go to bed at night, our head falls on that pillow. We don't question if the sun's going to rise. That's the Lord. He is as faithful as that. And if you invest in your local church, when you leave here, when you invest in people, It'll make a world of a difference. Yes. Well, all right. <laughs> that couch I had to, uh, it was 15 years old when I got it. <laughs> and, the couch oh, it, it gets lives. better. It gets better. I had to uh, shop back it twice and lint roll the cat hair out of it. And uh, so that was what was in our house for, for nine years. So there was a lot of memories with that couch, and I'm glad it's... It was red plaid. It was like Christmas red plaid. It was red, green, blue. Yeah, and so I know at, if you want to see a picture of it, we do still have, we have it. We can show you the couch. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So 
Uh, first off, I want to thank, thank you guys for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for Brother Henderson for uh, in, inviting me. When he talked about how he wouldn't have been friends, saw himself being friends with Amy, um, I didn't see myself being good friends with Brother Henderson when I walked in the door. Um, it happens. I was like, man, that guy is just bold and brassy, and I'm just never going to. And uh, But the, there's one thing about that guy. He's consistent, and it was probably me that had all the problems, and he just called him out because so, he ain't afraid to say nothing. And so uh, thank you, Brother Henderson, uh, for coming here. He's a, he's a good friend of mine, helped me through many seasons of life. Thank you to uh, Connor, Josh, and Jonathan. I saw you guys around. Thank you for going to dinner with us and uh, uh, hosting this. Jayla, thank you for your help. I don't know where she's at, but she was just in here a minute ago. Um, good to have my friends, Andrew and the Turners. And uh, also want to thank my pastor and the IBC staff for allowing us to be here um, and thank you for sacrificing to be here. I talked to somebody that worked at the Conrad at IYC. I th thought it was you. Glad you're here. I forgot your first name. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm glad you're here. Will. It was Friday night, okay? I hadn't slept in like two days. Um, but thank you for making sense. I know you could have worked on a Tuesday night. That was a good money-making night for me when I did valet. So thank you for taking time out. Um, so my focus tonight, I'm going to try to be application base as much as I can. I'm going to leave the deep stuff to Brother Henderson and the staff. Um, but I, I, we immediately, when we got the phone call to come here, started mind racing of all the things we wanted to share. And uh, then at the same time, as I thought more, I'm like, what do I really have to say at all? Like, Brother Henderson, can I just come listen to you teach? Um, because I'm still learning some things myself and figuring things out. And so uh, I, I want to just let you know that uh, these things we've learned uh, are, are things that even we, we still have to learn continually. I don't know that there's ever a time um, that you're not learning some lesson or relearning a lesson. I always tell people uh, my life's like a bowling ball and the grace and mercy of God is like the bumpers. And I just like bounce side to side in life off of all these uh, different things that I go through. But God is so good. Um, and I also wrestled, I was talking to Brother Herbst and Brother Kilman a couple night, weeks ago, and I was like, I'm wrestling with how can I be encouraging but not a liar, and how can I not be too discouraging that you leave here hopeless? Because <laughs> um, you're inevitably going to go through some things, and uh, I hate to tell you that, but uh, there's something about when you take a step back and you look, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. Yeah. And uh, God has been so good. Uh, I had the opportunity uh, to, for somebody to talk very plain to me right out of Bible school. Uh, anybody know Brother Tyler Bryant? Um, so he sat me down on the altar after a Sunday night service at my church. He was visiting, and uh, he said, hey, I just need to share a few things with you. And he shared some very simple, practical things that I was like, oh, okay. I didn't really think much of it at the time, but for the next five years, there was a lot of moments in prayer when I would be praying and God would remind me of what he said and it gave me the hope to continue on through some of the things I was going through. And so I hope that tonight maybe you can pick up a word or two that uh, there, the Bible talks about a word spoken due season. Um, maybe, maybe this isn't for your season now, some of these things, but maybe you can remember some of them in the future. Um, for example, one of the things that I always, when people ask me about youth ministry, 
And they're like, Brother Zach, what's, what's, give me something. I, I had some friends that graduated from Bible school, and they were like going into youth ministry like, what's, what's some advice? I need some advice, you know. They're looking for something uh, to, to take with them into their ministry. And so I, this is the first thing I always say. When you get into a church van, anybody ever driven a church van? Are you 21 yet? You've driven a church van? Okay. When you get into that church van, what you're going to do is you're going to yell at the kid in the back to open. The, you ever seen those two windows? They just crack open like that. And then you're going to crack the window and turn the vent on one. But you crack that driver window about like this. And what that does is that creates a draft through that van. <laughs> and you will not smell those students that whole drive. <laughs> Listen, you laugh now, but when you pick up a bunch of teenage boys that have been playing football in the rain and you got somewhere to go. Listen, it's it's <laughs> it's the simple things that can make life so much more bearable. Ministry sometimes is, uh, I remember telling Brother Olson one time, I'm like, oh, I got this, got this, got this, got this. And I was like, well, you know, that's, that's ministry for you. And he goes, no, that sounds like misery. And so there's some simple things that I hope to leave you with that it may not be super deep spiritually. Um, but if I can ease some of the pain, uh, I think God will give you the grace and mercy to do the rest. Um, the second thing I find myself saying is I don't apologize for a pulpit. And uh, sometimes we can feel inadequate and feel like uh, maybe there's, boy, it'd be nice if somebody else would share or teach or do, do different things or preach. Um, and and I, I feel that in me sometimes. But I do uh, believe that here to tonight, in this, in this setting, I do believe God has a word for somebody. And I do believe that God can speak to somebody tonight. And so I don't think it's an accident that you're here. And so... Uh, uh, I've been 11 years in youth ministry, uh, eight or nine as youth pastor, uh, one year of leading young adults, one year as a trustee at the church, five years as a sectional youth director, nine years of marriage, nine years of working a full-time secular job, three years, three days in uh, the belly of Walmart Distribution Center. And then uh, I currently work for a company that's actually headquartered just up the road here, McAllister Machinery is a Caterpillar dealer. And so... Um, so much of this time over the past 10 years, I feel like I should have like this more of a resume here. <laughs> like I should be able to tell you I did a lot more things in 10 years. Um, I turned 30 this year and it hit really heavy. Like, man, time is leaving me. I got things I need to be doing. Um, and so I, I do want to just just really quickly before I hit some bullet points of, of things I, I want to give you advice wise. Um, there's a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible of seasons. And you'll see it in many different forms, everything from uh, in, in ministry to, to salvation to just there's just different aspects of, of, of seasons that affect a person's life uh, in the natural and in the spiritual. And uh, Psalms 1, I, I, it's a popular passage of scripture, talks about the righteous and how they're like the tree that's planted uh, by, by the water, by uh, the river of water. And so um, it, it talks about it bringing forth its fruit in due season. Uh, the, the, the struggle with that is, is that we in the natural world, we, kinda, we can pattern these seasons. We can predict them. But in the kingdom of God and in our ministry, you can't predict seasons. 
So you don't know how long you're going to be leafless. <laughs> you don't know how long until warm sunshine comes and refreshes you and the rains come. And there's going to be times where you feel like you're losing everything <laughs> and your leaves are dropping. And so the tree isn't always bringing forth fruit, but it's still where it needs to be. It still is in the place that God has put it and it's receiving everything it needs. And so uh, you will have your own seasons. And if you're doing everything to love God and to love his people, you will have everything you need to produce something of value when God calls you into your season. The most difficult thing I've had to do in 10 years is wait for my season. It's been different ways in different forms, but I've had to wait to bear fruit. Joshua, or excuse me, Joseph had a dream, but he also had a season. Joshua was full of faith, but he had a season. David had an anointing, but he had a season. We could speak of Esther. We can speak of Jesus. We can speak of Peter. We can speak of Paul. And the list goes on and the subject could not be exhausted. But I've come to tell you, don't get impatient. Get introspective. Am I taking in the things I need to? Am I growing deeper roots? Am I branching out to bear a greater harvest? Don't be inactive through when you're waiting on your season. Work hard. Just don't quit showing up. I've made decisions at some point to, uh, if, if you'll forgive me for being so plain, but I've made decisions at some point that said, I'm going to keep showing up until I prove God a liar. The Bible talks about God is not mocked. God knows. God, God has a plan. He doesn't lie. And so I've literally had to commit to things and say, you know what, even though I can't see it, I don't feel it. I don't understand it. I, but God's not given me anything else. And so God has put me here and I'm going to keep showing up. And then maybe someday I can stand back and say God was a liar. <laughs> but it's inevitable. Years maybe sometimes after I feel like it should have happened, God follows through. His promises are forever settled. It, it's going to come to pass. His word's going to come to pass. Um, but sometimes it feels like you're literally just showing up. To be able to say, God, I'm showing up. Are you going to show up on your end? But you will have a season. You will, God will do a work in your life. If you'll just trust your calling, trust your pastor or your spiritual authority and trust in the word of God. I prayed for change. Um, but when I didn't have clear confirmation of what to do, I just stayed in the place that he put me in. If you don't have a word from God, if you're not clear, God doesn't. He's not the author of confusion. He's not going to work through mystical, work it up emotionally. It, if there's not an odd, like there's just no doubt about it. I'll never forget when I brought my wife home to, to Calvary for the first time. And the amount of people, well, when my dad, I'll just say that when my dad, my dad was never supportive of me dating. I came to Bible school and I, I never heard him talk about, positively about dating. He's like, you don't need to be worried about that right now. And so... <laughs> We showed up, they showed up to IBC Live, and Dada knew that I'd went to banquet with some girl. And so Dad was asking, you know, Mom, who's, who's the girl? You know, they're looking around, and it was, I pointed Amy out as she's seating people and going through and doing stuff. And I was at the mall the next day with Dad in, in, at Greenwood, and we're walking through the center of the mall. And Dad just looks over at me as we're walking and says, so when are you going to date her? And I about fell out in the middle of the mall. But there was... 
it was obvious because everybody around me, from my pastor to my fam, my 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 grandma, even said, <laughs> "She's like, oh, I, I when are they going to get married? When are they going to? You know, there was everybody around confirmed. There was my people, my family, my support group. There was confirmation of what I was supposed to do. And so, saying that for you, it will be clear." When you're supposed to change, but so many times people, when there's nothing being produced and everybody else, you look in another district, you look at another church, you look at your friend across the aisle of your own church, like, man, they're producing. This is going on in their life. They got this, this calling, this, they're going on a mission trip, they're going this. And you just feel like nothing's happening. Stay where you're planted and trust the word of God. Yeah. It's, it, you, you will have your season. The problem, though, is, is when we're capable of leading... Right? We're leaders when we're capable of leading and we deserve to lead. And it's still not your season. David had victories before Goliath. He had a loyal following before he was ever king. They sang songs of David be more of a warrior than Saul. And David had an opportunity to fast track his calling. He had the very thing eliminating him and causing him the most frustration in his life in his hands. And he could have taken it into his own hands to not only live a peaceful life, but the life that he had ultimately been anointed to do. It all was in his hands. And everybody around said, here it is, David. God's given it to you. Take it. But David knew that in all his righteousness, his talents and support, the creator controls the seasons. And so rather than take Saul's life in his own hands, he realized that promotion only comes from God. You will have to have action to be what God has called you to be, but that action will never be to tear down what God has put into place. In the end, after Saul died, if you read the story, the people asked David to be king. They came to him to ask of him to be king. You have opportunities to get bitter and you'll feel betrayed. You have an opportunity to give in to Potiphar's wife with seemingly little consequence to your calling. You will have the ability to destroy other leaders in their humanity, but just trust your season. Just keep learning the basics. It takes the same leader in Potiphar's house as it takes in the palace. It takes the same warrior fighting the bear and the lion as it does to be the victorious king. The same influence and talents in private will be brought to light in season. Absorb all you can in your current season. Be active in deepening your relationship with God and serve in every way you can. Love God and love people, and he will be faithful that's promised. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I felt like fainting a lot of times. I'm not going to lie. You sure about this? But God was so good. There's a story I'd like to share that kind of illustrates this point. Uh, I told this to my pastor before coming here and he was laughing at me because he's like, he had no idea of what this whole, what was going on. So when I came to IBC, I was playing drums in my home church. I wasn't anything crazy. I just loved to play drums. I'll never forget coming here for tryouts and they're like, oh, you got to try out to be on, you know, in singers or whatever. No matter what you want to do, you have to try out. Like, okay, great. I got up there, and I didn't have headphones, I didn't have cymbals, I didn't have sticks, I had nothing, right? That was all at the church on the drum set when I played at home. Um, and so I get, I get up there, put these headphones on, and all I hear is the... 
And I'm like, and their people are playing. And I'm like, what in the world? And they're looking at me. I'd never played a track or a loop. I didn't even know what those things were. So, you know, there was, there was this whole thing. So I took drum lessons while I was here and uh, grew a lot. Even, even my pastor's wife, she's like, wow, I can really t- tell that you grew. I got to play in chapel. I got to travel and, and play a lot. I ended up investing in my own drum set, Yamaha Stage Custom, Burn Orange. It was beautiful. Put some nice heads on it, uh, A Custom cymbals. I mean, like $1,500 worth of drum set. And I was so proud of that thing. And uh, I came home. And my church had the big rack system, you know, toms for days, you know, and they were this deep. They were the old. Anybody ever played a Tama rock star from like the 80s? They were this deep, you know, they had the symbols way up in the air. It was like Led Zeppelin. You know, they're way up in the air. And and it was just this wall of drums around you. And I'm like, man, guys, we at IBC, we just got like this little like four piece kit. You know, we got two toms that are down here. This ride's right here. Like, it's just so nice. And these heads and this and that. And, and, and the only thing I got accomplished that first summer when I was home is I, they allowed me to tilt the drums just slightly. <laughs> and, and I was like, man, this is, this is awful. And so I'm telling them about the, these boards we're using, the sound boards, like you know, in-ear monitors. This is great. You have to use headphones. And you control your own sound. They went back with an analog board when they had, so it's just like, I just wasn't getting anywhere. I thought, that's fine. You know, I'm patient, right? So I come back to IBC and I come home the next summer after graduating and uh, I'm, I'm talking to my pastor, uh, my, our head sound man. I'm talking to our, our pastor's wife. Hey, I got this drum set that I've invested a lot of money. It's just sitting in my house. Like, let, let's just throw it up there, right? Because came from IBC. Like, you throw up a drum set, tear it down, throw up a whole sound system in a few hours. It's nothing, Right. And just nothing was getting done. Finally, six months later, I didn't want to, but I ended up putting in our youth chapel. Um, I was like, man, it's going to get beat to death and destroyed, but at least it's getting used. So I put it in our youth chapel. And at that time, all of our drummers that played in the main sanctuary played in the youth chapel. And they were just elated. This is, this is the greatest. We'd rather play in the youth chapel than play in the main sanctuary. This is awesome. And so like, I'm telling this to the, to the pastor and, and to the sound man, all the, and just nothing is getting done. That went on for years. Uh, anybody know my brother Zane? Okay, so Zane comes, right? Zane comes home. He's like, we should adjust this sound. You move this, move that, change the drum set, do this, do this. Nothing happens. So he goes through four years, uh, three years of Bible school. And, it, and finally, the last summer before he went off for his senior year, we got that drum set moved to the platform. That was five years after I first started asking. And through that time, I'm not going to lie. My emotions were wild. I'm like, this is just, this is the theme of the church. They don't want change. They don't want anything good. This is, this is a benefit. The young people, they're against the young people. This isn't, I mean, just, I was, you know, nobody wants to listen to me. I invested in this and they just want to, you know, it was, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I was not happy about it. Um, So I gave that drum set to the church. And I'm sorry if that makes you feel like I'm patting myself on the back. I'm not. But I, I gave that drum set to the church. And it moved to the sanctuary the year I quit playing drums in my church. Is the year it went to the sanctuary. And today, that drum set is up there. And we have drummers that are playing at conferences. Yeah. They are some of the best musicians that we, we have, I've ever seen, come through our church. And so, I, I said all that to say this. The backstory is is that our head sound man actually donated that original drum set to our church. He'd been in that church over 20 years. 
he was didn't make much money. He played. He got it delivered him out of playing uh, country rock back in the day in the honky tonks, and so that's what he he came out of. That he came into the church. He became the sound man because the church didn't have a sound man. He built our sound system. He hand soldered wires together when they built a new sanctuary. He donated that drum set. He kept it up and changed the heads. He'd done that for years and years and years and years. His son was one of the best drummers up till recently that had ever come through our church that I had ever heard. And his son took that drum set off the platform one time back in the day when I was a teenager. And his son backslid off the platform. And I didn't realize it until later. But he probably didn't want that drum set changed by some young punk that just showed up and thought he could play drums because he'd been through this before, and he'd watched his own son backslide off the platform, and he wasn't going to trust just anybody that walked through it, because that was, that was the kingdom of God. It was the platform. There was anointing up there. You, you had to reverence that. And I'm sure he was probably the one that came in on Saturday night after his son backslid and took that drum set out so he could go play in his rock and roll band, and he was probably there, because I know him, tuning up that drum set, and, and getting it back to sound so Sunday morning that they could have. And when nobody else was there to play drums, because all of our other drummers had left the church at that time, he came back and played drums on Sunday morning, even though he had a really, really hard time playing the newer style songs. He would play drums to try to help the church out. And so eventually I ended up becoming, uh, he was a trustee. He resigned from being trustee. And uh, he kind of went into retirement. And I took his spot on the trustee board and things like that. But I, I was getting so frustrated and so bitter because nothing was changing. Nobody wanted to change. Nobody does, you know, nobody's listening. It's something silly. This is silly, guys. Why don't we just change this? But, you know, I was, I, I was disrespectful to the investment that an elder, and the pastor wasn't going to make him pull that off. The pastor was waiting until it was the right timing where, and ended up he would come up to me after that. He'd put his arms around me. I'm so proud of you. I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. He was the biggest proponent of putting young people uh, in replacing him on the sound team and, and running sound in the church. And if I would have went in there with a bitter, frustrated attitude and went off and spoke my mind and done my thing, I would have destroyed that transition that he was getting ready to go into. And, and God taught me a lot of things, a lot of respect and a lot of understanding. You're going to go home to probably some churches that if you're, if you're like me, they still got green and maroon and, you know, the sound systems from the 80s and, you know, the old upright piano. And you're the thinking the foam over the mics. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong. Please, please hear me out. I'm not. We can get so caught up in that stuff and act like it's almost the equivalent to salvation and become disrespectful to saints that have labored for years and built that church or built and, and reached that community and taught Sunday school every morning for 20 years. And just, and who are we to waltz in and think we deserve what they have invested in for so, like they're just, like they should just hand it. God had to teach me to wait on my season, even though I'd made investment and I had dedicated time and energy. So for you today, I know you're, many of you may go home and you may feel like, Five years, nothing is happening. I need to go, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to produce fruit, if, I'm, if anybody's ever going to, if I'm ever going to make an impact, I'm going to have to leave here. But just wait on God. Because it may be five years. For some things it, like us, it may be 10 years. 
but God will come through. And when he does, there's, have you ever tasted fruit in season versus out of season? We went to Hawaii on a vacation. I'm sorry if that seems like bragging, but we're not. We're proud of it. You got a great deal on Costco.com. It was great. January, we went to Maui. I, I did not know that I liked papaya. But when you've had papaya off the side of a volcano in Maui, Lord have mercy. It melts in your mouth. You put a little lime, squeeze that lime on it. It's unbelievable. You go to Walmart right now, you buy papaya. It's awful. Okay? Don't do it. In due season, when the Lord, it's going to be your fruit, your, your, what God produces in your life will be so sweet and so good and will bless everybody around you when it's in season. God has a plan for your life and don't ever forget that. I am almost out of time. Uh, Two stories I could tell in my life. One would be a favor. I could tell you how, you know, we just bought a house on five acres and, you know, I've got a, this job and that and we've done this and we've done this in ministry. Um, but the other story I could tell you and would sound quite a bit different would be of my feelings. <laughs> I definitely felt like I was a Joseph in a slave to Potiphar's house and in a dungeon. Um, but I had favor no matter where I was. And so remember that favor doesn't always look like your physical surroundings. Build a team of people to make decisions, not to contradict one another, but people to play their positions. Build a relationship with a pastor. Build a relationship with a, a peer that can challenge you to grow and be more. Build a relationship with, with people in, in similar ministries. Build relationships to help you to not make decision, dumb decisions. Nobody goes out and says, I'm going to make a dumb decision today. Nobody does that. But people do it every day. It's because they didn't have the, the bumpers on the side of the bowling lane <laughs> to keep them on track. You need bumpers in life. Emotionally, you're going to get out of whack. I didn't think I had emotions. That's probably why I wasn't sensitive at all. That's probably why I told Brother Turner he didn't do a very good job because I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you're terrible. Thanks. Um, so... Glad you asked for my input. Um, but, but you need people to help you when you, because you will, even if you don't think you're, you're going to get emotional. Um, don't try to deny your humanity. You need full nights of sleep. You need exercise. You need sunlight. You need nutrition. Don't be a savior for people. If you start to feel the weight of souls on your, is on your shoulders, get someone to help you draw the line. You're not Jesus. People aren't going to get the Holy Ghost just because of you. If they, if they want, they desire a relationship with God, God will give them the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now, can we influence? Can we be vessels? Can we encourage? Can, sure. But, but be careful with that. Get accountability in that area. Don't leave or move unless it's clear. Be so accountable it seems silly. Every, I try to every message I preach, talk to my pastor. Hey, think, he's like, you don't, you don't have to come to my office every time you're... Sorry, I just, this is what I feel like sharing. I, I, I ran what I was going to talk to him about tonight by him. It's, what's it hurt, right? Be so accountable. We, we and buying this house, <laughs> we looked at it, called the pastor that night. He comes to the house. We put pictures up on a screen. Look at this house with this pastor. What do you think? And, and he sat there and said, well, I don't feel any good. You know, do. I'm just trying to keep myself from making a silly decision, trying to be accountable to my pastor, my leader. Do you feel anything spiritually? What, how do you feel about this? Um, 
If you need to be heard, if you have to say something, speak it as soft as you can. <laughs> Never forget my first year of youth ministry. I went toe to toe in the balcony with a mother of somebody in the youth group. I about fist fought her. <laughs> Wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it. I was so focused on being right. It was silly. If you feel like something has to be done or you have to be very gentle, be very quiet, but some things aren't worth it. If you're not sure God is in it, don't say that he is. <laughs> you need community. Uh, you need people. You need to build relationships with people in your church. Get to know your elders. Get to know your middle age. Get to know the young people. Get to know the people in your district. Build community. Build community and people in your town. Get to know people. Know the lady at the gas station. Seems silly. Just you need community. We're a people of community. Yeah. That's, we were designed to be social beings. Some more than others, but you still need it. And last but not least... Be trusted with a mic. <laughs> when I get up, so we like to do offering at our church. We go launch into service, three worship songs, and then take up offering. Some t we used to do it, first worship song, then take up offering. Okay, you know the opener song, right? <laughs> right here. Max is out. Guess who they always, my pastor always has to do announcements. I live in a rural church. Have you ever come up, the church is shouting, going nuts, and you've got to announce there's a bag of potatoes in the breakfast nook for anybody. Brother Scott donated some chicken eggs and some potatoes. That was a real announcement. So... Listen, <laughs> pastor gave me that announcement. I got up and said, boy, isn't, God doing, isn't it great to be in the presence of God? Made my announcement, took up the offering, prayed over the offering, and went and sat down. Okay? There will be times for you to exhort. But first, Sounds what like I have found days. out is people would, rather than they would have an eloquent speaker... And they, rather than they would have this great, wonderful, they would rather have somebody, a district, a pastor, a guest minister, or your guest at a church. They want somebody that they can trust with a mic to be in the time frame that they ask, to, to just do what they ask. If you're there to take up an offering, just take up the offering. Yeah. To make it, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, if the presence of God is there, confirming that. But, you know... There's a difference between 30 seconds and five minutes. <laughs> I say that to help you, not to, be, not to be mean, but God wants your voice to be heard. And, and God wants to use you, and there will be times, but because we're people and the pastor's invested so much into his church, there will be a season for you just to get planted and where people can trust and learn and understand you. And then in time, they'll ask you, hey, Brother Zach, can you get up and exhort a little bit? Hey, can you, you know, hey, I want you to get up there. Don't, don't just get up there and take the announcements. I, I want you, the God's doing something. I want you to get up there and, and in time it'll come. And, and the church and everybody will, you want your pastor to be comfortable with you. <laughs> trust me. He's your spiritual authority. And if he's nervous about if he can trust you. Yeah. So that's all I got.
Excellent. Let's give him a round of applause.